Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I have my friend with me today, Lindsay. Not her real name. And she's actually here in my basement where I record, so I'm so happy to have her here. A little background. After we did the two back-to-back episodes about 12-step, where Kate and Michelle were talking about how they didn't like it, Lindsay texted me and said, hey, I feel super uncomfortable. She's going to read her text that she sent to me. I listened to the latest two podcasts, part one and two of the podcast with your discussion on 12-step. It really rubbed me the wrong way. I strongly disagree with parts of it and especially felt that the end tone was very hopeless. I do agree with parts of the message that too many women are stuck in abuse, and I'm surprised that I feel strongly enough about it to ignore my total dislike of conflict and tell you. And so I asked if we could talk sometime. And I said... Just come on the podcast and we'll talk about it. So here she is to share her feelings about how she feels about 12-step and how it's helped her. Full disclosure, I have attended 12-step meetings with her and also find 12-step to be very helpful despite the parts that I see as very problematic. So let's talk about the first step. So I think that finally coming to grips with the fact that my life was completely unmanageable and there was nothing that I could do about it really helped me to move forward and actually helped empower me because I realized what I had responsibility for and what I didn't. And that's actually really when I came to full understanding that I was a victim of abuse. So for me, that was really helpful. In your life, how has that first step Admitting that my life was completely unmanageable helped you. When I started recovery, I'll be completely honest, I really didn't understand it because I didn't really know what it looked like to let go of things. I didn't realize that there was an option to say my life is out of control. And so my understanding obviously has deepened over the last two and a half years as I've been working recovery. And actually, one of the ideas that really helped me a lot in shaping my understanding of this step one was an idea shared in a class that I took by Adam Moore. He shared this idea. It says, for the remainder of your natural life, life itself will persist at absolutely destroying your sense of capacity to manage things on your own. I think that that is actually the purpose of life. Life is supposed to be excruciating. It is supposed to shred your soul. But in the midst of pain, you can find joy. I am under no illusion that my life is always going to be fun and happy. Around the corner is some deeply painful thing that I'm not ready for, and it is going to remind me that I am in desperate need of help from other people and from God. The more I can accept that reality, the less suffering I experience. The most intense pain you can inflict upon yourself happens by saying, It is not supposed to be like this. It is supposed to be happy. And I have been robbed. You will make yourself miserable thinking that. If you let it, life helps you turn to others and to God. And that's the end of the quote. (laughs) I'm like, so basically he's saying, have very, very low expectations. (laughs) Yes. And in some ways, that's exactly what step one is. It's saying my life is unmanageable and it's going to be unmanageable. Life is going to be terrible and horrible, and thank goodness you will die. (laughs) Well, and thank goodness we have a higher power. Thank goodness we have people around us who experience, although not the same thing, have similar experiences, and we can connect with people, and we can connect with God. 
No, that's really interesting because I was talking to a woman at a conference and she was awesome. I invited her to be on the podcast and hopefully she'll come on soon. And she said, I wasn't meant to live life one day at a time. And I thought, that's so true. Like, I want to be able to plan. I want to be able to have peace. I feel like life was meant to be joyful, but it also was meant to be difficult, right? You've got those two things going on at the same time. And I think that's what's really difficult about this type of situation is that, number one, you should not have to go through this because it's the result of someone else's choices. So it's completely unfair and sad. And number two, that is what life is made of, right? right. So it's both that you should not expect this because it's it's not not fair fair. and then secondly that's what life is at the same time right because whether it's betrayal trauma or whether it's a child dying whatever your trial is that is way too hard it's not fair yeah so what about the women talking about how 12-step hurts victims what about it left you feeling hopeless Specifically, the discussion around saying, okay, so you have therapists out there, you have resources out there that claim we help with betrayal trauma, and yet they don't. Which is true. It is true. But that left me feeling sad. But it leaves me feeling like, okay, so then what can I trust? What can I do? Mm. And honestly, it connected me back to my personal introduction to recovery. When I started working recovery, it was about nine months after I had attended the Utah Coalition Against Pornography Conference. And I went there and I discovered that there's this thing called betrayal trauma. (laughs) And on top of that, not just betrayal trauma, but also there is secondary trauma. And it's real. You can have secondary trauma from ecclesiastical leaders, from therapists, And so I left it feeling like, okay, so now I have these awful, awful things that I actually have words for now. Not that they weren't there before, but now I have a way to describe my experience and it's real. If you guys just heard that burp, yes, that was me. (laughs) Sorry, keep going. Um, And it's real. And yet I have nowhere to turn because I don't know who is safe. I don't know how Mm. to look for safe resources. Okay, so that's where it left you feeling a little bit hopeless. Right. I mean, the part that I do disagree with is I do feel like there can be help found in 12-step. Yes, I do too. I hope I made that clear. I want to say all the caveats, right? There is (laughs) help. And these are the, like, 27 caveats. (laughs) I may or may not be exaggerating that are like, be careful of this, be careful of this, might not be helpful. But for me, it really literally changed my life. So I love it, right? I never thought that that could leave people feeling hopeless. So I'm so glad you brought this to my attention because it was like, beware, right? But then they're like, where do I turn? What I needed to do was say, this is what would make these people safe, right? And give options. So will you be irrevocably harmed by one bad therapy appointment? And the answer is no, Right. right? But if you know before you go to the therapy appointment what you're looking for, and what is safe and what isn't safe, then you can say, hmm, this therapist isn't going to work for me. And you can walk out. Or you can say, oh, this therapist is safe. And 
just go with it until it turns out to be not safe or maybe it's safe the whole time, right? I think that we won't know until we kind of put our foot in the water. That's why I developed the BTR checklist because mm-hmm. that step one is find a safe person. I listed all the things I could think of. I'm sure there's way more of like, <laughs> if they say this, they're not safe or imply it or any little mm-hmm. things where they say you have some sort of responsibility or you have work to do or anything like that. When I say you have work to do, What I mean is, if this relationship is going to work, then you need to be nice Mm -hmm. or you need to be supportive or you need to do this or that. Because any perceived infraction on that, because the addict can't see clearly, right? So he could perceive any one of those things and you give him like a centimeter and they take like 17 miles. So that's what makes me worried about that. So... Since then, have you developed a system where you can feel like this is how I would know if someone's safe or not? Mainly trusting my gut. I mean, learning to trust myself and to trust God. And honestly, my relationship with God and my higher power of my understanding has shifted because of what I've learned in 12-step. So over the weekend, you went to an essay lifeline retreat, for example. Yes. And you called me while you were there. Yes. And we talked and you sounded very safe and you sounded very happy. So that being said, while you were there, what indicated to you that it was safe? Like, how did you know that it was safe for yourself? I'm probably not totally clear on this answer, but for me, when I feel safe, I feel peace in my center. And if there's something that isn't safe or that feels off, It's almost like a little flag goes off in my brain that says, wait, this is either totally unsafe or I just need to learn more, ask some more questions and figure out what's going on. Because sometimes people say things in a way that is unsafe, but they didn't intend to say it that way. Like me. (laughs) I do it all the time. In fact, right when Lindsay got here, she was like, look at this new pamphlet that I see. And I was like, ah. (laughs) <laughs> they took the word abuse off, and I went on a, what, how long was it? Five-minute rant? Rampage. <laughs> Maybe yeah. four-minute rampage yeah. rant about how mad I was that they removed the word abuse. Yeah. And then I was like, I gotta calm down. And I said a prayer, and I'm feeling fine now. And do you feel safe now? Absolutely. But I bet while I was on the rant, you were like, oh, this can't be good. <laughs> right? You were kind of like, oh, no, we can't record with her like this. She's <laughs> psycho. And I was recognizing it. It's funny I got triggered. It's funny when I get triggered. I don't know if you think it's funny when you get triggered, but when I get triggered, I think it's funny because I can see it and I'm like, oh, I know I'm doing this. And I have to be like, okay, I have to make that mental shift to say, what would be the most helpful thing to do right now, right? And Mm -hmm. to get myself out of that thing. So I apologize that I was unsafe for three (laughs) minutes as I went on my rant. Why have you found 12-step to be so helpful? One of the reasons why it's been helpful for me is recognizing that I can reevaluate my perspective on life. It's really a hard process to do to say, I am questioning everything about me, everything about what I understand about my world, about my higher power, about my relationships with my family, with my friends. And yet that process of questioning has been in a lot of ways, very healing for me. And I can feel the growth that I've had over the last two years. Yeah. 
that's what I experienced too. And I loved that. Looking back, I didn't so much like when I was going through it. Absolutely not. It's so hard. It was miserable. It is. But looking back, I'm like, wow, I have changed and I have grown so much and I'm still growing. Absolutely. And I, I think the principles in 12 step have given me a pattern in which to remove the character defects that I have. So for example, one specific character defect I went to coach Peggy about. I see coach Peggy individually for meditation sessions. Mm -hmm. And I said, there's this character defect and it just keeps popping up and it's driving me crazy. And we did a meditation session about it and I'm feeling so much better. But if I didn't have the framework to know how to talk about it or to even know how to like confront it or to know how to change it, because this is something that has been with me for a long time and it is kind of unmanageable. I'd say it is unmanageable and I'd like it removed. So just having the framework to be able to solve problems in a different type of way, yeah, in a spiritual way, have it actually work, but strangely not the way that other things work. Like other things, you plant corn, you put water on it and the corn grows. That's not how 12-step works. You do all the things you're supposed to do and you surrender and you do your step four and step five and It doesn't seem like a direct result of it. It's almost like the growth happens in this other place. And then you look back and you're like, whoa, I changed. How did that happen? To me, that's how I know that it's my higher power having a hand in my life is it happens in a way that I don't expect. Mm -hmm. I don't see it coming. And, And then it happens and it's this beautiful, amazing thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Can you tell us about maybe one of them? Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I have struggled with over the years is in my relationship with one of my sisters, my youngest sister, I have not been sensitive to her needs as a human being and and really recognize that she's somebody. She has worth and she's of value and I can respect her as a person. And I didn't realize it. I had no idea. I just thought, oh, she can help babysit for me. She can do all these things to help me out because I need it. And it wasn't until, um, honestly, I think I was reading the book Boundaries. I got to some section and it talked about taking advantage of people. And I'm like, shoot, that's me in this relationship. That's me. And I didn't have an answer. I didn't have any idea how I was going to fix that problem because I don't know how to do things any different. It's my experience and that's all I know. And so... It was this process of becoming humble and saying, okay, well, I recognize there is a problem and I need to take it to her. And so I did. I took it to her and I said, hey, I have done this for years and I don't have an answer. It's obviously not going to fix itself overnight. Um, I mean, maybe it will, but I don't have answers right now, but I'm sorry. I'm truly sorry for the pain this has caused you. And over the last year, as I've come from that framework... It has done amazing things in our relationship, building trust and having her become closer to me in ways that just weren't there before. Ironically, she helps you more now. Absolutely. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) But it's mutually beneficial rather than you didn't know it. Right. But you were manipulating her. Absolutely. I was. Yeah. And you didn't know it. Yeah. I love that part about 12 step two. The scary part in an abuse situation is that then your abuser can use it against you or, you know. Yeah. So I have actually not been able to do a step nine with my 
X because I know he'd take that and you, it's just not the right time. So trusting God to know when a time like that would be right. Because there are lots of things. I was married to him for eight years. We were together for seven that I did that were not good. That I would love to make amends and apologize for. I just am not able to right now. The other thing I think is interesting is as we are the victims of someone else's severe bad choices, then it's like we can't let the little things slide with us anymore. So, for yeah. example, we, we're like, okay, I expect him to be 100% honest, right? Right. So then that means, whoa. I need to be honest. I need to be <laughs> honest, 100%. Yeah. Right? And we recognize places where... Maybe we weren't 100% honest in sharing our feelings. or right. So you were super honest with the text that you sent. Right. Right? Right. And, and I appreciated it. It was like, thank you for your honesty. I would love to hear what you think. Before, you may have thought, well, I love Anne and she's been a good friend to me. So, you know, I just won't tell her that this is bothering me. And, or something I, like and that. I probably won't listen as often, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine, too. Right. You don't have to listen, guys, if you don't want to. <laughs> but yeah, you might, and you might pull back and I wouldn't have known why. But I think that that helps us too to think, okay, I am trying to get to safety from this severe situation that is really harming me. And also, how can I be a better person through this experience? Well, and one thing that I love about this process is you talk about the sweeping my side of the street. I agree. It's totally not about that. Because that can be a really dangerous metaphor mm -hmm. to use. If you take that out and you just say, this isn't about my side of the street. This isn't about my relationship with my husband. This is about me and God. Yeah. And it's taking this situation that is awful and terrible and ugly and hard and, and painful. And unmanageable. And unmanageable. And it's saying, I can either sit here and live in the unmanageable and live in it. And that's okay to do. Or I can take it and give it purpose. Mm -hmm. I can take my suffering and give it something meaningful. And that process makes the pain more livable in a way. Not that it's more livable. It's still there and it's still awful and it's still hard. But it pain with purpose. Gives it purpose, yeah. Pain with purpose is so much more tolerable than pain that's totally meaningless. It's <laughs> the book, Viktor Frankl's book, yeah. Man's Search for Meaning. It's this idea that if I don't have any reason, this pain is just happening and it's just going to keep happening and there's no reason for it and I can't do anything about it. I mean, I'll go crazy. I will. Yeah. And I may still go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> You're not crazy yet. You haven't gone crazy yet. But to have purpose to it and for me to say, no, this is not my fault. It's not fair, and I can't control it. But with God, I can make something beautiful out of it. Yeah. And for me, that process of making something beautiful out of it has been working the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. For me, it was definitely the 12 steps. And it's also been BTR. Absolutely. Actually, because everything that I have now, my children, my house, BTR, a nonprofit that I founded, is because of what I went through. Like, I would not have anything that I love and care about and hold dear to my heart now without that. So I'm super grateful that I went through it because there's no way I could do what I do without it. I right. mean, people who try, they stink at it really badly. I think people who haven't been through it have a hard time wrapping their head around like the realities of what happens. I also think it's super cool how for all of us who have been through this, we can understand each other and empathize with each other, but also disagree. 
Absolutely. Right? And have different experiences. And that certain things are helpful for some people that aren't helpful for others. And leave a space open for that. Knowing that emotional health looks pretty much the same. Honesty, accountability, kind, you know, all that stuff looks the same. But we can get to it from many different ways. Well, and part of that is step one. It's saying... Mm-hmm. Your journey is totally not up to me. It's out of my control. It's unmanageable. And it's going to look different for you than it is for me. Saying that, okay, maybe I do know somebody who's right in the midst of things. And I think that their journey should look this way because I know it helps me. But that's not up to me. It's up to them. It's up to their higher power of their understanding. It's not mine. Yeah. I think there's somewhere in the blue book correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) It says trusting that where they are is where they're supposed to be, right? And they'll get to where they need to go at their own time. We're going to pause the conversation right here for this week. And Lindsay and I will continue it next week. We'll talk about how to find the right resource for you. So addressing Lindsay's concern that that's sort of hopeless when you start out and that you're worried about uh, secondary trauma. So stay tuned for our conversation next week. For those of you who have donated to keep this podcast on air, thank you. Your donations make a huge difference, and you support victims of betrayal throughout the world. If you haven't already, please go to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom, click on Make a Donation, and set your recurring monthly donation today. If you're having a hard time this summer, please join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. Go to our website, btr.org, check out the session schedule, You can get into sessions on your phone, in your car, on vacation, anywhere that you are so that you can always get the support that you need. And until next week, stay safe out there.